Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here. My pronouns are he, him, and today I'm interviewing Christoph Sapinski, and they are here to tell us all about their upcoming game, Free Spacer. Uh, what are your pronouns, Christoph? Uh, he, him, they also works. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, where might people know you from on the internet, uh, if at all? Well, uh, they probably know me from Twitter and Google Plus, the land of game design. And, uh, well, I have a website and stuff, so maybe a little bit from there. Cool. So, uh, you're here to tell us about your uh, upcoming game, Free Spacer, which we will get to in a minute. But I first wanted to ask you about uh, how you first got interested in role-playing games. Um, and games in general, and then we'll transition to some stuff about your uh, move to game design and things like that, uh, and then we'll get into the meat of talking about uh, your cool new game. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Excellent. So, how did you first get into games? Well, uh, I had recently moved to a kind of semi-desert place called Kamloops in, in BC, Canada. And uh, I had a friend who I knew through my mom's, one of my mom's friends, and he was into Dungeons and Dragons, and we started playing Red Box D&D. And uh, we would play that. We'd actually play it most of the time walking on a paper route. So we were using a lot of rules, I'm sure. But um, we had a really good time. And from there, I went to like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and that sort of thing and kind of kept kept going. Kept going and playing all of the games that you can probably suspect from someone who started in the 1980s. Yeah, all of... Well, sounds like you played all that good, good Palladium stuff. A bit of it. A bit of it. Some, some riffs and some, yeah. some uh, Robotech. You know, all those great games. Moved on to things like Warhammer and just a whole variety of things. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, so how did you, or when did you first start deciding that you wanted to make games? Well, um, I think that came out of, see, it's an odd story. I, I went to university for f- film, and I was around graduation, found out that all of my friends were now working in the video game industry, majority of programmers. And when I went to school, there was no such thing as, like, game design school. You mm-hmm. couldn't, wasn't really a thing you could do. If there was a program, I'd never heard of it. And so I kind of got in testing video games uh, at, at Electronic Arts and working on FIFA and then moving on to other projects and other companies after that. And I'd always loved uh, role-playing games. So when people started doing that sort of thing on the internet independently and stuff with the Forge and all that, I kind of started paying attention i was kind of late to the late to the to the party on that front but i started paying attention to it and thinking hey i could do this too so i transitioned from video games to doing tabletop now which is crazy weird backwards way of doing it i guess yeah for sure um uh I, it's not as backwards as you might think we had somebody on um a little while ago uh ben i can't remember his last name at the moment, but an Australian Maltese designer, and he also got sort of started with um, RPG, uh, started in video games, and then transitioned across uh, to yeah, role playing games. It's a really int- it's an interesting way of doing it. it. Made me very system focused. Uh, unlike mm-hmm. 
some mm-hmm. designers, I don't, I don't like to build a lot of like content, like big lists of things can be really fun, but I'd rather usually make like a system so you can just either make those things or you don't need to do those things because they're abstracted a little. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So I tend to do a lot of that sort of thing in my design. And sure. I think part of that came from basically doing system design of video games and going, Hey, this is such a, it's a way you can kind of engage with it and be able to come up with creative parts yourself without having to, you know, open the book, go through mm. it. <laughs> go Interesting. So then it was, is, is free space, uh, the first project that you've released or, or going to release? Um, or are there other games that you've worked on or made before this? Um, I dabbled around, but nothing got particularly far. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd been going on video games for so many years. So when everybody... I kind of started this as a bit of a hack for something else. And then it completely changed like five times, becoming its full system and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's the first thing. But it's been going on for so long. It feel I think it's like pretty much should be the third edition or fourth edition of this first thing because it's changed so much. Wow, you wouldn't believe it. Cool. Uh, so, um, what first motivated you to make this game? Um, and then we'll probably get into talking about what exactly this game is and what its goals are. But. Uh, let, let's begin with why did you s- decide that this was the game you were going to work so hard on? Wow. Okay. So I've always loved science fiction. And when I started this game, there was a, a lot of it. Um, we were playing, we played Traveler, of course, and we were trying out Mongoose Traveler. And uh, we we weren't syncing with the game as well as we'd hoped. Uh, there was a bunch of things I'm like, I can... F- I can do this differently. I can fix this kind of attitude coming out. And so I started looking at it and tinkering with it and uh, ended up digging all the way down to the bottom and going, you know, why are there attributes? It's a science fiction game. Your strength doesn't matter as much as your skill in something and that sort of thing. So I basically, you know, ripped it up all by the roots, threw everything out entirely, and then just started something new with the general idea of, hey, you're on a ship, you do all the things. Uh, Machines don't really do that for you. It's about your skill using, you know, machines or AI or software or whatever you happen to be doing. And kind of went from there. Yeah. Researching something nowadays is so different to researching something in the past but there's still that human input like it's it's less about knowing how to read a, a read a card catalog and knowing about what what words to use in a in a search engine to get the result you're looking for but it's still totally. you, you inputting it's just the input's different yeah it's uh research has a lot more skill than some people think oh google does it in reality, yeah. you do it, and that's why we have the term Google Foo. Yeah. That's your skill in researching online. And it is a huge difference between someone who doesn't and someone who's really good at it. I've had friends who are amazingly good at it, and they can find things. And I've seen someone like my grandmother or somebody trying to search something, and you get a completely different list and completely different information. So yeah. it's really interesting that way. That's your skill rating in, in research. Yeah. Uh, so... So, so then Free Spacer was just sort of motivated to create it 
as a response to you felt that the other sci-fi RPGs just weren't were too tied to that to to the the things that made fantasy RPGs work, but didn't you felt that those things didn't work as well for sci-fi? Is that that's kind of what I'm hearing? Uh, yeah, it, it's a combination of that, and then later on, it got very educated by there was a lot of lighter, more indie kind of games coming out, and like like the awesome fate fate games and all this sort of thing. But I found they didn't really supplant my wish to do this because they do things a very different way a way that is more about uh, fiction and the way the stunts all go and less rooted in uh, the world. So it was, I was kind of doing this kind of in between kind of indie streamline, but with crunch thing. And I was just kind of balancing along that. And I didn't want to be referencing too many of these things that like, does it matter in science fiction? What really makes sense in science fiction was always my go-to line on that. So yeah, excellent. So, tell us a little about the premise of uh, Free Spacer, um, and then I'll ask you a bunch of directional questions to to further the conversation. Awesome. I can use the word cardinal in this conversation, I'm sure. Anyways, okay, so the setting for Free Spacer is kind of loose. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at various points, had a firmer setting, but I decided I noticed that players didn't care about it as much. And I realized the way to get them to care about my setting was to make them do it themselves. So I put together that the base underbone setting of the technology, there's full drives that bring you to the center of systems. You can fold out from the outside of systems. Otherwise it's super hard. Uh, no, multi-system Ansible, so you only have, like, tachyon communications within system, all that sort of tech as it it went on. There's two technologies uh, that are kind of big, biotech and uh, zero-point technology, which is folding space and making force fields and stuff. And so I built that kind of system first, which I don't really suggest is the best way to make an RPG, (laughs) but that's how I did it. And then I moved up to where the setting was. And it was actually further in the future at one point, but I brought it back to right after the end of the Exploration Wars. Now, this is a big battle that happened due to a kind of a a weak power uh, discovering a bunch of others groups, including Soul and stuff, and them going, hey, we don't want to be under your control and getting into you know, a war over it. And that lasted a really long time in the fiction and then was broken up by the other cardinal powers, which is what I call um, the powers that run each quadrant officially. And they went, here's anagaphics, which is like age-defying medications. If you stop fighting and go defensive, you can have this. And so the war ended, but there's still a Cold War going on. So we're right in that sweet spot of chaos that is the end of war period Mm, interesting so the cardinal powers are just to clarify some stuff cardinal powers are it's not the exploration wars was was humans and a bunch of other alien species yeah so okay i wasn't sure if the exploration war was a bunch of humans spread out from earth and then we're like hmm actually you've taken this thing that we want and then fighting I'm sure there was probably a little bit of that. 
That it can be that. So one of the things you, you get to do as a player in the game is the first thing you get to decide is the three societies in Orion, which is the one quadrant. That oh, and so they can be all. different branches of humanity, or you can, you can make them all alien. humans if you want. You one is called alien. Old Gold. Could you make none of them human? Uh, one is Soul. One is always Soul. You could decide that that society is almost non-existent and have like one minor faction from it and just kind of ignore them. Or or, or all the people of all the beings from Soul are evolved from things on Europa. <laughs> yeah, you could totally do that. Uh, we you get to decide what species are in, and in my and it, in this game, the species and the societies aren't the same thing. Mm. All the species are multi. All the societies are multi-species societies. Factions are a different case, and factions are really the meat and potatoes. They're the ones kind of fighting over the sector that you decide you're going to play in. The sector is a whole group of at least 39 different systems that are dealing with things however you decide they're dealing with it. So the first you create these societies and you create factions and, and species for them. You create the, the, uh, the sector and then you play in that sandbox. Yeah, it's so interesting. It kind of sounds... Um, it sounds like there's a few details that are that are, I wouldn't say hard, but definitely solid. Um, mm-hmm. uh, certain details seem more malleable than others. There, uh, there's like certain underpinnings that you need in order for the game to work and make sense, but it definitely feels more like a, a toolbox game. I wouldn't say a genre toolbox. I would say that it's got a very, almost like samurai movies are a thing, uh, se- movies that are basically adaptations of Seven Samurai are a very, very, very specific subgenre. But we have so many of them that it is definitely a subgenre. <laughs> yeah. So the game is kind of like very small crew starship movies, like or small crew s- starship genre, right? So you play a crew of like three to five people on a ship. You work together. You're the only people on that ship. And it's a small ship. There are other bigger ships, like capital ships, but they're like immense things that need whole teams of people to do each station and that sort of thing. And so there's that kind of underpinning. And it's definitely narrowed in on that genre. But there are, I include in the book, kind of six different ways of playing that. Mm-hmm. And they're called flags. They're bounty hunter, agent, um, mercenary, um, technician, um, and I'm forgetting them all. Anyways, so you can There's play these different, different types. Almost like, almost like uh, crew types. Yeah, scout uh, and courier. Those are the last two. The ones I play the most. But um, Courier could be fun. <laughs> yes, courier is the not a smuggler at all, I'm sure. I'm, it's just, you know, local laws don't always agree with your trading. It's the rogue trader kind of group. And... Yeah, oh, God, technician God. is kind of like the Shadowrunners in space, and Bounty Hunters, I mean... Oh, really? Got I would have thought Technician up. would just be... I would have thought Technician... I would have played Technician if somebody's spaceship's broken down. I would have done it like the crew in um, Event Horizon, except with slightly less horror. Yeah, you can do a lot what of all, stuff like all, that. What all of their other jobs must have been like. <laughs> totally. I mean, it, it, it moves from being cross between like scavengers mm-hmm. who are like you're basically you could be almost working for a faction that acts as like shipbuilding slash salvage group and or to shadow runner 
steal IP secrets from mega corporations that dominate your sector if you've decided that's what all your factions look like. Yeah, okay. you can kind of. That's the. It's an odd flag in that way, but they all use the similar technical skills, so it kind of made sense as a combination. Yeah, and I'm guessing like one of the other things, one of the other things you must be able to control when you're building your setting, I would assume, is how wide-reaching the access to the anti-aging drugs has been made, or is that, yes. or is yes, that definitely so? Like you could have everybody's got access to that, or you could have it like it's very expensive, or you only get access to it if you do X amount of good things for the collective good or whatever. Yeah, it's uh, basically per faction, but for sure per society. You have three societies, the Old Gold, Lateral, and, and Soul, and each of them probably has different policies, and then each faction within them will probably have different policies. So if you want to do the despotic corporate world of a couple different movies of recent, you could have all just the rich people be anagathic while the uh, poor would have, you know, work their whole life to try to get it. And then, or you could do something else where it's more driven, like the nobles have it. If you want to build, you know, space nobility, um, all oh, that sort yeah, of stuff. The nobles have it. And then just have your people trying to do noble deeds in order to get knighted. Well, that's the cool thing. As a free spacer, you have it, but if you, die you run a rebirth and then you won't have it so a big chunk of the game is um well there's this whole project system that's the advanced mechanics in the game and one of them is called is retirement so between each contract the game is organized into contracts you do retirement tasks depending on the opportunities you find Mm -hmm. and if you do badly in that and you never get above your debt level which is a, a number that you get near the beginning uh, you can, you know, basically be poor and probably uh, a debtor on some planet, some like drift or something. But if you get above that, you could be actually, you know, make yourself important in a faction of whoever you're dealing with. Sure. And you get to write your faction, your retirement plan and everything as part of that and decide which faction you're working with. And you can do it the way you want. If you want to do AI research as what you're doing, or if you want to like, that mine we saw, we're going back and mining it. You can do that, right? And it's, all, it's always about getting position in a faction mm. because one of the main principles of play in the game is free spacers are above and beyond the whole world. You're outside of things. You're like legally outside of all the factions and the societies and all the local worlds. Mm. It's reminding me. It's reminding me a little bit of. Um, it's reminding me a little bit of I can't remember the name of the organization, but in um, Killjoys, the Killjoys are pledged yeah. to be part of no organization. The Rack. The Rack. Yeah, that's it. Reclamation. Yeah, you could totally play Killjoys with this system pretty easily. Uh, the other thing, I was, thing, thinking, they have more the other thing I was thinking guns. about was um, Dark Matter. Um, yes, they're exact. When those came out, I was like, look, it's like almost my game, except they have regular guns for some reason in space. But besides that, it's like my game. Yay, cool. <laughs> I, was, um, I love those shows. So it sounds like it sounds like the game is, um, I don't want to, I, I want to say job orientated. 
in that like you have you have to you have to do these jobs or whatever to get through things is it is it a heist game do you yeah. feel i don't think it's i wouldn't call it technically a heist but as i i did mention earlier i was a film student so um technically it doesn't fulfill the genres of a heist game not like okay. uh, the amazing uh blaze in the dark does but you can do kind of heist things with it at the beginning of every not every session but uh every like period of play that uh could be multiple sessions you'll have a contract you'll create a contract now the contract is an offer from a faction and you can add more addendums to that contract and you can change it and it's part of the project system so projects in the game are work just like regular roles except you do a bunch of them and all of their results are combined into either a reserve that you spend on things like in the contract or to complete various milestones. Like if you're fabricating a device, you know, making a bomb because that's what players always do (laughs) or, you know, maybe make a bubble of stuff so they can survive something. But um, yeah, so you, you, you actually put spend your reserve on various things on the contract and you'll get paid more for those things. And what you get paid in is cargo. And cargo in the game is experience points in a lot of ways okay. because there are three or four different types of cargo. And one of them is complex materials and complex materials is what you use to upgrade your ship, yourself, your gear, all that sort of stuff. And so it's like the main thing you use, you turn your contracts into this currency that you use to upgrade yourself. Okay. Interesting. So what would you say is the, um, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but if you had to distill it down, what would you say the uh, the core activity of uh, Free Spacer is? As an example, the core activity of D&D, as the game is written, is dungeon delving. Uh, the core activity of, of Blades in the Dark is making bad decisions. Uh, no, the core activity of Blades in the Dark is like <laughs> pulling heists. Um, what would you say the core activity of Free Spacer is? Um, the core activity of Free Spacer is flying around and completing contracts. Right, right, right. So it's 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 completing the the the, the contracts. I'm, I'm trying to think of another way to word that. Um, or... uh, you kind of get a job. You yeah. can tweak that job. You may have choices between that and other jobs. You go complete that job. And you repeat. That is how, pretty much how, how long do you envision in play a contract taking, or is it flexible? Uh, is contracts like a, a session or two, or or can you have a contract, a one contract, be your entire game, like for uh, several? No, the idea is supposed to be it's a session or two. Right. Um, I have a lot of players that take a lot longer than that, so it can go anywhere from I think. So at cons, I can do a contract in a single four-hour sitting. I had one group complete the contract, the same contract that my group at home is doing. They completed it in three hours and like 20 minutes. And the group at home have been on it for five sessions and are almost done. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So players do as players do. But the game is kind of like I, I tweaked it back because I noticed if you look and you'd find some of my older uh, actual plays, I've taken quite a bit of time to do individual contracts. So I've tried to dial it back. So it takes about two because that's what the, I, 
that's, it seems like the sweet numbers, two or three sessions. You get the contract, then you move on to the next one. And then various things kind of will come back from the other contracts a little bit. Because it's really easy. Because you, you like gain social skills by gaining contacts. Yeah. And you're adding to your sheet too. So you will end up using them and so you can get reinvolved in things. You can also add addendums to it. So if you want to do some, you know, speculative trading, those are addendums you're adding to the contract. So. Yeah. So it seems very much to me. So whereas, so Blades in the Dark is a heist game that has, um, that has some crew management stuff. Um, it feels a lot like Free Spacer is a. F- it feels like uh, running a fantastical business, um, which is, is cool. A bit. It is a bit. Uh, some of the games, like there are some. I, I stole some stuff from Blades because he came with some great stuff. Uh, also, have you heard of Red Markets? They have a similar cycling of jobs. I have definitely heard of Red Markets. Um, yeah, so Caleb was... put together a similar cycling of jobs. I was like, I sat down to play my first game of that going, oh, I wonder how different his system is from mine with the, the contracts. And it was like, that's pretty close, but a bit different. So, okay, cool. Oh, he did this. Oh, he enforced roles a little stronger than I did. That's interesting. That that sort of relationship. But I was, I'm, I was happy I'm to see guessing that free it. spacer is not as intentionally horrific. No, but there are uh, so the individual roles in the game are called tasks, mm-hmm. and and you, when you roll dice in the game, the player rolls all the dice, and the player doesn't have to go versus a a uh, difficulty like target number. Instead, they get a certain number of threat dice that can be negative if you roll badly on them. Oh, so it's kind of like... Um, so kind of like Star Wars, except... I was going to say, it's kind of like a combination of Star Wars and Fate a little bit, except um, in, except your negative die, your negatives on your Fate dice are actual separate dice, like in Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. So you can't get negative on your task dice, and you, but and but you, and you can't get positive on your threat dice. Mm-hmm. And so you roll these two sets of dice. One is t- d10s; those are your dice, and they are slightly in your favor. Like five and ups are good. Mm-hmm. Well, these six-sided dice, one to threes, are bad. And so you just roll those. You do what we call gathering and eliminating, which you just kind of put them together and then figure out what the result is after that. And all everything works like that with. Combat is just slightly more advanced than that with like you determining which the players determine which order they go in and they can give a cooperation kind of dice to each other called coordination. They can kind of coordinate, but to give a plus one advantage to each other and that sort of thing. And everything on the sheets are all like a number of dice. So, yeah. Wow. Cool. And um, I was getting to a point on that. I think <laughs> I forgot what it was. No, no, no. We were talking about, um, talking about it how how crunchy it was going to be basically um so yeah, so yeah it has a it has resources too so it's kind of this odd combination of a very streamlined game without like super crunchy combat rules or anything but it has enough crunch that it always feels like if you ever seen them like use the controls on like the teleporter and star trek and they're moving those little things up like uh oh like the sound yeah, yeah, tuning yeah, yeah. It always feels like that when you're doing a roll because you're like, okay, I get one advantage from this and then I get advantage or I spend this resource to get 
these dice and and then and then the, the GM does the same thing but much simpler way. Like NPCs are basically like bags of tags with like a base difficulty, and so he. You as a GM, you'll have like a base difficulty of like two, and then you'll add a couple tags like they're soldiers and they're doing fighty things and that sort of thing. So that's the number of dice you get. Plus, I've got a resource I can add to called complications that I can get it from you doing badly, and so I can add to that or to the negative results if you do badly. I can also add to that. Yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah, it, it feels. I feel like the game feels like science fiction when you're like moving these little knobs of game design. Ah, uh, so even even the even the mechanics to you feel kind of like sci-fi in that there's there's yeah. all these little things. It there's doesn't have like all these magic dials and stuff. switches. Yeah, yeah, that's what I tried for. Yeah, cool. Uh, so, uh, how 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 long do you expect a playgroup to play out a narrative of? free space for like a narrative arc um yeah, what, so, what might be called a campaign yeah I, I use the term campaign because well it's a, it's a decent term um i would like I, when i did to design it i kind of set it up to be between on the low end you could probably do it in like three contracts you could do something less is possible but it's getting a little weird at that point and then on the top end, you can go for a really long time. It depends on what you're doing with your sector. Mm-hmm. So it can go for really long-term play um, or to short-term. And then uh, a lot of that is guided by between every contract. The GM also has their own solo play called uh, the Cold War Phase. Mm-hmm. And this is not dissimilar to Stars Without Numbers Faction Turn. Um, it's a little more streamlined than that, a little less exacting. And so basically every faction has a score which represents an amount of interest in each system. They also have a couple tags they can have in that system. And they kind of compete against each other. So as a GM, as a GM you go through and you roll some dice in between. You see how they're changed. And then you uh, explain those narratively by writing down stuff that you add to a timeline. Simultaneously, you also have this... Uh, I forget the type. I think it's a dot chart. You have a cross between two poles, two, two sets of poles. And then you move around things, trends, interesting trends uh, that you want to be happening in the world that you started with or that the players added or so on. And you move those around based on what's going on and they help inspire what is happening in the world. And then you create your contract offer out of that. You create a proposal out of that. Sure. So you can do that between each time. So to use an example that Caleb used to use when was talking when he was talking about uh, red markets in promotional stuff and interviews and things, uh, yeah. perhaps one of the factions becomes deeply interested in beanie babies. So the contracts, one of the contracts that comes up is you know, or even a whole bunch of the contracts, you might get like, someone wants you to destroy a strategic cache of Beanie Babies, another person wants you to steal some Beanie Babies, and someone else needs you to move some Beanie Babies from one system to another um, without the cargo getting destroyed before the Beanie Baby market crashes. Yeah, you can totally do that sort of thing. Uh, Each faction it's kind of like a character. They're all written on like the society sheet that they belong to. Mm -hmm. And they all have an agenda 
and you figure out an initial agenda during like the first setup you do. The game is a little bit uh, front-loaded on some of that work, but um, you fill out these agenda, and then you change them after each contract, depending on what happened with the other uh, the stuff during the Cold War phase. So if you have people who are wanting to expand, all of a sudden there'll be lots of like, you could totally look at that and go, well, they're going to need people to go explore that place beforehand and that sort of thing. Also, there's a part in there which is uh, tells the GM to give more influence or less influence to the places that the players are involved based on what they do and how they complete their contract. Mm-hmm. So the players have like an input on that as well, which I thought was kind of important because uh, without it, the world kind of moves on without you and the GM has to work to cause your influence. Well, is, that, in, is that influence yeah. meant to represent... Um, like how people feel about you or is it like the impact that you've made on, on factions or something? What is it? What is the impact that represent? Uh, the influence is actually a trait that each faction has, but your manipulation of this, your aftermath of your contract is based on how you've helped one faction or another. Right. That's kind of what it changes. So if your actions inadvertently aided a group in the general area, them and their allies will get extra influence. And influence is how much power they have as assets in the Cold War. They'll probably have other things too, but they're not really being utilized. They're kind of neutral in the Cold War. But they're like, they can be anything from fleets of starships to spies to whatever. So there's that, that sort of conflict kind of going on in the background. And you get to, as a GM, you kind of go and you know, make it make sense with by adding it as an event or something. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, cool. I mean, it sounds like an interesting uh, game, um, especially to people that are into uh, uh, into what is the word I'm looking for? Into uh, me- mechanically um, into that mechanical engagement with games that you know, like mm-hmm. that in the section of. Uh, uh, rules and stuff, but it sounds like you've got some. It sounds like you've got a specific idea in mind, which is always uh, something that we like to see, uh, which is cool. And you've got some fun stuff working there. Uh, what do you when? What do you envision for your um, for this as a as a product? I guess. Um, how uh, are you expecting it to be? I'm going to write this one free space of book and then move on to something new or are you going to be making this into like a game line what are you what what are you hoping for um what am i hoping for wow um i bounced around on whether or not to create and how much more materials straight for the book um initially it is gonna be the book and it's gonna be complete mm-hmm. you play the game gonna run the cold war phase you have just a ton of like guide guidance as a GM as well, which um, which I really wanted to put in there because I kind of wanted to tell them how to run the game and how to prepare for the game. Um, and so that's all complete. That's that's in the book. You don't need to buy anything else to play it. Um, it's got everything in it. The one thing that isn't in the book is any built-in settings or anything. So uh, one of the things I'm going to be providing is a small one myself in a, a little like side book that I'm calling the sector archives. And I'm going to be adding uh, additional sector archives as like individual ones um, as part of the Kickstarter structures. Cool. Uh, 
and that is a sort of area that I, I will probably definitely will definitely keep growing. Uh, other areas may or may not. I may also I might create other kind of related games as well because there's a few places that you could expand. Um, I could create related games involving like you you can't really fly capital ships in the game because there are these massive things. That is an area that is interesting to me, but I I haven't made particular plans for anything yet. It's one of these things as a, as a small indie with not much fame. You don't know how well it's going to be accepted. I mean, I may have people clambering for it, or I may get nothing. I, I have no idea. So yeah. we're going to find out. Yeah, it's cool. up to the players out there what they want to see. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, what do you? What? Uh, when is your Kickstarter launching? Uh, the Kickstarter started uh, launching on August fourteenth. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be going for pretty much the standard length, so into September. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's really exciting. It's, it's so much work to do these. It's and I really hope nice. people are interested. Yeah, what kind of, um, uh, what kind of, I guess, promotional stuff have you got lined up uh, leading up into the Kickstarter and then also extending through the Kickstarter? Do you obviously well, we arranged this interview to be just pretty much close to the beginning of your Kickstarter. Yep. Yep. This is some, one of one of the things I'm doing. I've got another couple of interviews lined up. Some some maybes. Um, probably the most exciting thing for me right now is uh, I'm talking to uh, Eric Volgaris. Mm-hmm. He's put in, putting together a group of players to do an actual play. Awesome. Someone besides me running the game. And uh, that's going to be starting hopefully, hopefully before the Kickstarter. Um, it's uh, it's hard to know as you organize these things how long they will take to get started. But I'm hoping that'll start before the Kickstarter. I'm going to go all the way into the Kickstarter. So when players want to see how the game plays, they can just go over and look at what Eric's doing with it and uh, see how it's being played there. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so. I wanted to talk about um, a few other things that you mentioned while we were uh, while we were chatting. Uh, and you mentioned um, uh, Mongoose Publishing RPG. I can't remember what one you mentioned, but it reminded me that one of the first RPGs I ever read back when I was like, Warhammer is cool and I'm enjoying playing it, but what other tabletop um war games are there. I found the Starship Troopers war game by Mongoose Publishing mm-hmm. and then found something called a role-playing game. And I remember reading that book and being like, wow, so much of this looks cool. I didn't really read any of the mechanics, but I read a bunch of the setting material. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did you ever get a look at uh, those Mongoose Starship Troopers things? I never actually... I, I miss the Starship Trooper game. Uh, when I got into it, they were doing the they were doing the Traveler one. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed it because I recognized the Traveler book. Yes. Um, the Starship Troopers. I've heard bits and pieces about it, but I unfortunately haven't really got to try it. It seems yeah. really neat. The setting for it was interesting because they attempted. I to love blend, Starship Trooper. They attempted so. to blend all of the different Starship Troopers things together, so they're like. How do we put the mobile infantry next to the mobile infantry? And so they're like, "All right, these guys, these guys from the movies, they're conscripts." Nice. <laughs> Just to have them as fucking cannon fodder. Yeah, it kind of makes a little bit of sense. Like, 
I liked the book, and I, I actually, it is one of the things I do like. I like the movie, but it's partially because I liked the movie because of the media functionality they did in it. Mm, like, I love yeah. the, would you like to know more? Like, I love that stuff. I'm just a, it's just so interesting. And how they, they it's like, the the subject matter, they're, they're kind of, con, you know, commenting on. And then people, it's weird how people don't notice what they're commenting on as much. They just kind of take it at face value. And I always I, thought the commentation was interesting, personally. It's weird that you would not notice the huge amounts of satire in that movie. Yeah, it is weird when people don't notice that. <laughs> um, something that I did for a campaign that I ran a while ago... Um, here after after high school i was trying to write kind of a a post cyberpunk novel and then i got into role-playing games and then i ran a a role-playing game in that setting that was um the the pacific empire which Mm. started in australia was having a bit of conflict with something, some some rogue Europeans that had taken over a part of Russia, and in order to free the people of this section of Siberia north of Japan, they were gonna, the the Pacific Empire was going to invade it. So we had this war uh, RPG thing going with some of the military f- stuff from the setting, basically cool power armored force recon guys dropping cool. in ahead of an invasion to weaken the defenses. Basic D-Day c- commando shit. But something that I did up into the lead, in the lead-up to that game was I made news articles on the Facebook group that we were using to organize it uh, where, oh, awesome. where players could also like do a would-you-like-to-know-more thing and ask like a specific question and then the news AI would attempt to respond to it um and so like yeah. i was i was posting like i didn't have the ability to make videos of these things but i was posting like descriptions of of what the video would look like of this of this general saying we're leaving the the european kingdom or whatever the fuck it was called and we're we're going off to start our own cool place Dude, i just love that kind of in world stuff it's it's really fun i mean yeah it's it's just so good when you manage to do that. It's a lot of work on the GM. When I was writing that book, the thing that I enjoyed most about it was writing in-universe things that didn't actually have any description. So, like, writing a letter from one politician to another about some new weapons test that's like, yeah, so this is the reason we have to do what this other nation says, uh, because they politely wanted to show us their cool space power system and it was actually a giant cannon <laughs> for destroying cities without nukes um, yeah that's so cool i i know i i've heard of people writing like letters in universe between each other or there's always the classic map things it's it's just it's a really it's a lot of fun yeah really um something else i wanted to talk about um okay. you mentioned that you used to play your uh, you used to play TND while walking your paper route. Yes. Um, have you done? Have you done much more of that sort of integrating physical physicality into your role playing? So, like something I did once is I ran a D session that was set where the players were exploring this massive swamp on behalf of the orcish 
king who had recently taken control of it and was the orcish king was like i need censuses done of my new empire go tell me what's in this swamp that i now own um and so we actually played that in a wetlands reserve near 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 where we live um so i was wondering if you've had any experience with that because you mentioned the walking while playing rpg stuff um we didn't we were not that creative as kids we were just not that creative that is super cool i mean that totally reminds me of all the stuff they're trying to do with like online play and the streaming audience stuff nowadays um and the idea of building that sort of stuff in that's that's a really cool idea i mean i'm not sure how you would use it to determine things like did you walk and if you found like a particular rock or something with an area that would like answer we a did, question we or did, something we like, didn't do any movement stuff but i did um envision um uh i didn't get to do this just because it became too difficult but if i had a little more time to do planning i could have i thought about doing a thing where um i would have scenes within the game mapped to specific lo- locations within the wetlands and we'd actually walk between scenes, which I think would have aided in the whole um, emerge. Like something that is often a problem in role-playing games is when you travel a vast distance, mm. it doesn't feel like you've traveled a vast distance. We had a problem in our um, in a game that we played that was basically Arcanum Quest rewritten into a tabletop RPG. Um, Interesting. We had a problem or rather I had a problem where we, where the GM would have us be traveling from some place. And I just, it didn't feel like traveling at all, especially when we'd have to like double back. We'd do like one scene in one place and then travel back to the other place. And it's like, Oh yeah, this takes like three or five days. It's like, it literally took us an instant. It did not take us three to five days. What are you talking about? Yeah. If it took us three to five days, you need to make it feel like it took three to five days. It can't just be we walk from one dude's treehouse to the other dude's mansion that feel like they are literally down the street from one another. That's where uh, travel mechanics, like uh, Freespacer has, uses projects to do travel as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, sort of like forgiving a on the return home, but... Uh, it can be quite difficult to get places that you need to explore. I've seen. I played a Dungeon World game recently where they had um, where they modified the Undertaker Perilous Journey to be a, like a progress clock instead. Mm. So you have to the GM decides how much progress the thing you are trying to set out to find will take. Um, and yeah, that doesn't necessarily represent just physical distance. It can also represent. Um, so, like if you're if you're searching for um, a bunch, the place where the person who's setting a bunch of traps, you first you set out to where the traps are, and then you try and track the traps back to where they've come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, that sort of thing. Uh, there's like it's a milestone system and such. Mm-hmm. I mean. There's a bunch of games with this sort of thing right now. I think uh, Adventures in Middle-Earth has something. Uh, Ryutama is just really the travel system, the entire game. Um, And uh, as you said, Dungeon World, it's becoming this kind of thing that you add, and then it it actually makes a lot of sense for a lot of games. So 
mine especially, is especially game space, but yeah, I was going to say especially games that have a have um, a focus on travel. I think it's important. Like I think yeah. that is definitely a failing of um, or can be a fail. No, I no, I'm sick of being half going halfway on D and D. I think it's a failing of D and D in that they do not adequately make traveling to new places feel like traveling to new new places um i think the ones that do it are it's always done by the modules yeah. i i think the hex crawl systems like they're using in uh um what was it called a uh, tomb of annihilation and stuff should have been put directly in the dungeon of the dragons core book yeah or at least in the dungeon master guide because yeah. it really it's the feels like the the basic uh, travel system for a Dungeon Dragons game seems to be hex crawl. Um, they yeah. could have put more than one in and had like something like Undertake Perilous Journey from Dungeon World. Yeah, it would have been cool. Uh, so, I normally like to ask uh, people uh, what projects they might have in the future. What things uh, you normally I ask with uh, people that are here talking about their Kickstarters. Uh, what are you hoping to make after everything for this Kickstarter is done? And they normally answer with, oh, I'm just focused on the Kickstarter. It's like, yeah, we get that you're just focused on the Kickstarter. <laughs> we so assume, much you're, attention. We so assume much attention. you're focused on the Kickstarter, but in your wildest dreams where the Kickstarter is done, what is the what is the what is the next thing for you? What's your what's going to be your palate cleanser, or what's going to be your next game, or what other things are you even working on that maybe aren't games? What other creative pursuits do you have on the horizon? Well, I have a I have a bunch of little documents and OneNote pages, and I have to really kind of centralize them a little bit, but uh, kind of like proposals and stuff for different types of games. Um, Thing, other things I can do with similar mechanics that I already have. And then, like, a bunch of little small ideas for different projects. Um, I was looking at making a system that replaces money in Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, yeah. What so, does it, in, What does it replace it with? Well, see, the thing is, Dungeons & Dragons is usually based, especially if you're not going any guns existing, and if you go, you know crossbows aren't super common everywhere you kind of basing in feudalism and feudalism didn't really have cash the way we think of it anyways there was gold but it wasn't used to buy things the way we think about it exactly this way right i mean during the roman empire there was but it was still a little bit different so i wanted to create a system i'm currently calling it just favor where you uh i replace basically all the treasure lists and all of that where you can bring back a hoard of treasure and you basically can give it to a king or to guilds or the church or the other churches or whatever, and you get favor from them and you can gain noble rank and all of that sort of thing. And it, and uh, gain, you know, dispensation from their stock houses and that sort of thing. And, like, it would have serfs in it and everything. It would probably replace some of the background. It would redo the backgrounds and stuff to be kind of integrated into the favor system. And so... I kind of was I was working on that on the side before I just got overwhelmed with um, with you know Kickstarter stuff. <laughs> so I might go and finish that up and maybe put it on the whatever D and D store. 
is once it's done. Yeah, I can't remember what the name GM's Guild? Is that the name of the Yeah, game? yeah, the GM's Guild. Yeah, Dungeon Master's Guild. Yeah, so I, I might put something up like that just as a little small thing. I mean, it's a little, it's a bit of a job. There's a bunch of charts that have to be created and some layout, and mm-hmm. I'd have to run through some stuff. But it would basically go anytime you get gold or anything, it would just kind of replace that. Yeah. And so all the treasure lists and everything, anytime you're just getting money and not like a magic item or something, it'd be replaced with like bags, chess kind of set of treasure. And then you'd do something with that treasure. You'd grant it to someone and they would give you favor. And you'd have a favor uh, thing that you'd be able to spend on a variety of things, including some of the fun stuff like increasing your town and doing great building projects and that sort of thing. You know, like the hero from the dungeon does this thing. There's oh, parts cool. of that that remind me a little bit about um, a little bit about Pendragon, which was kind of yeah. my first foray into. Hang on a minute, what if RPGs weren't sandboxes? Even though Pendragon is still a sandbox. It's just a very narrow sandbox, but at the well, time... Well, you actually play a knight. At the time, Pendragon didn't feel like a sandbox. When you come from World of Darkness and and Pathfinder, and then you go to Pendragon, it's like, what? And then it's like, oh, it's... And then you like go to even more focused games, and it's like, oh, it's not. It's not a sandbox game, but it is a focused game. And it's arguably the first focused game. It is a pretty um, old game. Yeah, I've played the more recent edition. I think fifth edition it might be called, or sixth. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I just picked up fifth for at a free table because I think someone must have picked up the sixth at one of the conventions I went to. <laughs> I, I suspect they got their sixth edition and so dropped the fifth edition on the table. And I'm like, ooh, Pendragon. <laughs> I, I've yet to have time to read it, but I really want to run uh, Camelot Trigger, which is the Fate Mecha uh, world. Uh, and use the grand campaign from Pendragon for it. Because in Camelot, Camelot Trigger is all like, what if Arthur had a mech suit? And what if Lancelot was a gladiator from Mars? And what if Guinevere was an Amazonian queen from Venus? That sounds cool. I mean, Excalibur does mean out of a mold. Excalibur is the name of his mech, and Merlin is the name yeah. of uh, his AI. Yeah, that yeah, told him where to find this really cool mech um, and uh, all of the like spell castery things within the setting are are actually AIs. So like um, uh, Morgana is uh, is um, is a is the evil AI that was going to destroy humanity and had enslaved them all, and then uh, Merlin Merlin buds off. And it's like, you boy, go to this bunker. There's a mech suit there. Pull that the mech fun. suit from the rubble. <laughs> yeah, uh, that sounds yeah. like a lot of fun. Yeah, I can imagine AI living in like a whole group of people and controlling the kingdom. And stuff. <laughs> yeah, funny. yeah, they have like wormholes and things. It's like, yeah, I just want to try. It and, sounds gonzo. I want to try and mate those two properties together. I want to get. I want to get the most gritty, granular. Uh, very much not me anymore. Uh, RPG of King Arthur and fuse it to the most wacky RPG of King Arthur I can. Yeah, um, it'd be interesting because you'd be playing these knights who would really be all about being a knight and getting their hereditary down and 
but you'd be in this really weird world where being a knight meant you had a mecha suit and uh-huh. yeah i guess from you, vampire fall like I, it's you, Im- you improve your you improve your uh your holding and you also have to improve your suit your mech <laughs> yeah like you probably want to add stuff like uh your ai spends time away from you educating peasants into being engineers or something <laughs> Cool. Well, it was fantastic talking to you, and I can't wait to see uh, what you do with Free Spacer and and what projects come out from you in in the future. You sound like you've got a pretty interesting um, design perspective. Uh, so uh, I'm keen for that. If people want to find out more from you online, where can they find that stuff? Uh, probably the best place is freespacer.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a Google Plus community and a Facebook community. Uh, both basically look at free spacer on either and you'll find them because they're crazy number letter combinations those things free spacer is two words free spacer is two words but you know whenever you put them in a search engine they become one but uh <laughs> but yes uh, uh there's no space in that and where can where can people where can people find you online if they need to if they want to ask you a question oh, about well. your game any of those places, and of course Twitter. I'm Zofra on Twitter, like X O P H R A. Um, it's a long story. Anyways, and uh, they can you tweet at me about Free Spacer, and I'll talk your ear off and tell you ignore me, probably. Um, <laughs> and your Kickstarter starts on the 14th, presumably 14th of August. Your time. Yes, hopefully in the morning uh, on the 14th of uh, my time, which is Pacific time. Um, the 14th if it's in the morning that'll actually probably be the 14th almost everywhere else as well depending, yeah, on, how, depending how early it is depending I, I'll probably be unable to sleep and get up and be like should I launch at 6am it's a good time back east will be the conversation <laughs> but my wife will be sleeping so we'll not wake up and tell me I'm sure yeah, wonderful. And we'll have links to all of that stuff down below. Um, thank you so much for being on, and thank you to our patrons for supporting us and making it possible to do things like this. Uh, if you want to help, uh, if you want to help Insight Quest here, do more interviews, make more actual plays, and do more other interesting stuff, go check out our Patreon. Uh, if you uh, back us for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to a Patreon-exclusive uh, podcast where we talk about game design stuff and let you know about things going on in the gaming industry and also tell you what stuff we've been up to. Um, so go check that out. Um, and other than that, uh, I just wanted to say one last time, thank you for being on the show, and I hope that you enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. It was great. Fantastic. Farewell from the past. I'm Ray.